Welcome to Football Indonesia. My name is Richard Clark. I'm a consultant in sports content, digital and social media, predominantly in football. I've worked for clubs and leagues all over the world, but my most recent role has been with the revamped and relaunched Indonesian League, and it's been an entirely new experience for me. Now, football is a global game, but the world competes in it, watches it, and makes a business out of it using very different methods. Throughout this year, I've flown from my home in London to Indonesia and then travelled all over this fascinating country, consisting of thousands of islands, three time zones, and some of the most passionate football fans you'll ever meet. I decided to make a short podcast series on the way, talking to the people reshaping the resurgence of the Gojek Traveloka Liga 1. Today's guest is Rafael Hartman, head of marketing for the league. Originally, he's from the Netherlands, but as you'll find out, he has a strong family background in Southeast Asia. Raf has been working in Indonesia for four years. He worked with the unofficial version of the league while the official league was under a FIFA suspension. More about that in later podcasts. And he's helped to redevelop and redefine this league this year with only a few weeks' notice. Rafael Hartman, thanks for speaking to us today. You're head of marketing at Liga One. First of all, just tell us the basics of this league because people won't know how the league's set up, the number of teams, how many months a year it goes on for, how it works. Just give us a quick overview, please. Yeah, so basically uh, we start the league half April on the 15th, if I'm not mistaken, with a very short preparation time, approximately five weeks, five to six weeks to run yeah, Liga One. The league consists of 18 teams and the format of the competition is home away. Duration of the competition is 10 months, so we want to be fin- we're finishing on the 12th of November, uh, do a uh, AFC registrations, club registrations for the 2018 uh, Asian uh, club uh, competitions. So actually this season is kind of tight, so we have a few weeks that we're playing like five, six weeks on row, we're playing almost every day, because if not, we, we won't make it until the 12th of November. So yeah, do a, do a short preparation. We start the season a bit late as well because the average competition in Asia is starting in February till yeah, November. So we're starting almost two months later and we're finishing on the same time. So yeah, you can imagine as well that we, we are kind of busy uh, this season. And even in the fasting month, previous seasons, we never played during the fasting month. So it's one month break. But because of the time frame, yeah, we played after the Maghrib praying. It's like the 6 p.m. praying. So we're playing during the fasting month at 8.30. Yeah. And tell us the broad history of the league because Indonesian football was modernised and became national relatively recently, am I right? Yeah, that's true. Um, in 2008, the the PSSI, so the, the Football Association of Indonesia, they founded the Badan Liga Indonesia Baru. So it's like the Indonesian football body who runs the Indonesian Super League. And that time in here, it was still allowed that yeah, it was sponsored by one of the most famous uh, cigarette brands. And in 2008, they started under the name Jarum Indonesian Super League. And that's the first time it had been properly national? Yeah, that's the first time. I think before it was like maybe regional, so hosted by the uh, and organized by the Football Association. And I think they have like different amateur competitions, maybe in a tournament, in a tournament format with one winner at the end, but that was not really professional. So really from 2008 when the big money and also the television broadcasting came in, that was in 2008 basically. 
And football in general in Indonesia, where does it fit in? What uh, role does it play in the culture? As you know yourself as well, uh, Indonesia, what I'm always telling people is that actually Indonesia is not one country, but it's it, it maybe 20 countries in one country because every specific region having their own culture, they have their own food, they have their own norms and values. They look different as well. So actually, basically, Indonesia has like many different kind of countries blended in one big country. So people, are, I think, are always very proud about the country, but they're also very proud that I notice where they're, where they're coming from, especially in the regions outside of Jakarta. I think the clubs are representing either a province or the city, and that makes it very... So they actually engage because they engage with the region because they are proud that they're from Bandung, they're proud they're from Padang, they're proud they're from Palembang, they're proud they're from Papua. So everyone is actually playing, in my opinion, like every week they're playing basically like a national game. That's how, that's how, I, that's how I, uh, I feel it. So people are proud about the clubs that represent their regions, but what about the national team? Does that bring people together? I mean, people yes, have told did. me that the national team... When they play, Jakarta stops. Does the rest of the country stop as well? Does it have that unifying force? Yeah, that, that's true. But actually, what we can see, a small difference between the national team is that actually all people, all people of society coming together to watch the game. And it's like one united nation. But well, then, well the teams are, our teams in our competition have a different kind of fan base, different kind of people going there but basically what we can see maybe also because Indonesia is still like a young uh, democracy since 1945 so people are very very proud especially this AFF tournaments like the Asian competitions because it's still unfortunately for Indonesia for the national team a bit hard to to participate in either the AFC Cup or the World Cup so I think that's why also the AFF organized this Asian competition every two years and yeah, if Indonesia is doing well, then you can see also that the that the people going to the stadiums, people watching uh, in small uh, food stalls beside beside the road, people gather together. And what I heard is that when Indonesia reached the final a few years ago, they played at home. They were like in the Gloria Mukarno Stadium, hundred thousand people. So it will, and even people, even twenty thousand people outside, want to get into the stadium. So. You can see if sports here performing well, then everyone is as one uh, one big voice or one big group behind behind the nation. So, yeah, we can say that actually Indonesians are football crazy. Of course, the national team has been on hiatus for a couple of years because the the league and the national team were barred from competition by FIFA. More of that in later podcasts. But just want to talk to you about how you restarted the league this year because you said you had four five weeks notice now there have been competitions going on unofficial competitions that have been going on in the interim period of time but how did you get a league started in that period of time yeah so basically for example the difference with the the previous season and the last season before the suspension is that we played with 20 clubs and then it's like the same concept as the NBA like a West and the East conference for this one we have just like home away format with 18 teams and yet it, it was a kind of uh, short short notice from the from the football association to, to that we are running this league but I've been here for four years my colleagues some of them for eight or nine years so what we normal do in maybe two months or two and a half set till three we didn't five weeks that means yeah Every day till 10, 11 p.m. from 9 a.m. 
including Saturday, Sunday, and then it's still possible, but not optimal. But the basic things we, we, we arrange so. And what are the particular issues in organising a football league in Indonesia or any sport in Indonesia? Because it's a vast country, many islands. There's, as you talked about before, there's the issue of fasting and prayer and, and, and issues like that to cope with. So just talk about the peculiar differences and difficulties of organizing something such as this in Indonesia. Yeah, maybe the first thing you, what you already noticed is that, for example, we cannot kick off at 6.15, 6 till 6.15 uh, p.m. because there's, there's the Maghrib praying. That's one of the most important prayings during the day. So every kickoff time have, has to be around 6.30 or later because if not, we are disturbing the, the praying schedule. So that's that's one thing. The second thing is we also, Indonesia is a big country, so there's uh, different time zones. Another thing in organizing some problems you're still facing is infrastructure. Some stadiums, in my opinion, are not really, are not optimal yet. Also, maybe because of a lack of government support. So those kind of things uh are still yeah we still need to solve but it's not that we can solve these things in one year it takes some step by step and it takes a bit time and patience to 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 get the right things uh, on track so another problem is sometimes still hooliganism violence in within the stadiums that's still the overall reputation and we have to cope with that and we have to 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 make that different so we have to make a better league, a safer league. So actually our, our main goal, and ex- especially from our department as a marketing, is that we have a, a family-friendly league where entertainment and sport on the highest level in Indonesia are coming together. So for everyone, it's a safe environment, it's entertainment, and people going there together, going back home. So it's like we, we want to make it like a family entertainment, but yeah, we cannot do it in one year. I think it will take five to ten years to change to change the the perception, overall perception of the Indonesian football. And tell me about the clubs, because the clubs are vastly different, different scale sizes, potential fan bases, the reflection of their culture and their and their mini nation, as you suggested. So, talk about some of the the the, the big clubs, the smaller clubs, and the differences between between all of them. Yeah, so what, what I said before is every region has a specific culture. For example, Persija Jakarta is representing the capital, while Persib Bandung, one of the biggest clubs, actually the biggest club in Indonesia, is representing the West Java province. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the, the West Java province has 40 million inhabitants. Some clubs, they have city functions. Some clubs have like regional functions. Some clubs even have provincial functions. So... Yeah, we have clubs. For example, if you if we're playing, if we're flying to Jayapura, that's the most eastern part of Indonesia in Papua. It, it's five hours by direct flight. So, you've been in Arsenal as well. If you're flying five hours for an away game at Arsenal, I don't know where you end up. Maybe already in the Middle East or somewhere in, far in Eastern Europe. So, or for example, uh, in Surui, that's also a very small, small island in the middle of nowhere. Uh, some teams last year went there by went there by boat, some teams flying there. If the weather's not good, you cannot get there or you have to stay there for a while. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe beside the United States in a country where they're flying five hours, only from Jakarta, it's five hours. I mean, it's same in Padang. 
they are actually the most western part of Indonesia. Flying to Jayapura, it takes them first two hours to Jakarta, the transit maybe two, three hours and five hours, so maybe almost half a day traveling to get there. With the time difference, also the weather is slightly different there, it's a bit, a bit it's hotter. So yeah, all those things together, it's actually, it's actually the, the clubs here playing as in the Champions League format, because two days before the match they arrive, not on match day, because the country is so big and so spread it out. And the ownership of certain teams, you've got army, organised, yeah. owned teams, have you, and police-owned teams, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I think that's not only in Indonesia. I mean, if you... Uh, what, in, I think in Thailand, they also have uh, two or three teams that are owned by the... even by the military or the or the police. So that's maybe a regional team, uh, like a thing maybe here in, in Southeast Asia, the teams are owned uh, by police or army. And, yeah, what you... What happened as well is that some clubs changing from ownership. For example, Bali United is a club, only, it's only two or three years old. And actually the previous club before Bali United was in, on the Kalimantan Island. So the, the army team, they, a club, the previous actually owner of this club was, the, was in, based in Papua. So you can see that also the, not only the players changing from clubs, but also clubs sometimes changing from ownership and even changing from location on the other side of the country. So that's, I mean, I never heard about this back in the Netherlands that suddenly uh, Vitesse Arnhem the next year becomes Nac Breda and playing in Utrecht, for example. So I think that's really maybe an Indonesian thing. I don't know anywhere else in the world where that's happening. Also, actually, I'm not really, really familiar with the competition regulation. So uh, I don't know. It is allowed, but the specific regulation about this, I, I cannot explain, actually. Yeah, I suppose you've got the example of American sport where the St. Louis Rams can move to LA and become the LA Rams. I mean, that's that's a franchise model. It's not quite the same, but it's in the same ballpark, shall we say. I was going to ask you about the organisation of teams and the match day experience and the stadiums themselves. You're European. You, you come from uh, the Netherlands. How do you compare the Indonesian match day experience with that which we're used to in Europe? Well, of course, with all respect, yeah, you're from Europe as well. You know things are better organized. So in Indonesia, sometimes it's not that well organized. But that also makes it very special and makes it a different game day experience. I mean, the most of the sta- our stadiums are full, but even though if there are only five to ten thousand fans inside the stadium venue, they're still making sound for forty thousand people. So and that's I, I think I. I saw in this in Holland with certain clubs as well, but not with all the clubs. So, I mean, the Indonesian fans are very passionate about their team and they're also able to make noise for 90 minutes in a positive way. Another difference with the game day experience, for example, in, in back in Europe when you go to a stadium, you're buying the food within the stadium venue, there's a catering, you have like a, like a card, you top up some money, you pay with it. But here in Indonesia, you just buy food on the food stalls beside the, beside the road before you're heading into the stadium and then there you consume your food and most of the time the ticketing you're just buying the ticket locket outside the stadium so all those things that are uh, so like in Europe for example with ticketing in, in the Netherlands I think nobody buys a ticket on match day they have a season membership in Indonesia season membership don't exist so people just most of the time buying tickets one day before or even on match day. So those, uh, yeah, so the queuing sometimes it takes a while. 
uh, at the gates. There's no, there's no match to it with police officers who are checking you before you get into the stadium. Some stadiums don't have any seats, so you're sitting on the baton. So you, that, those kind of things are a bit different, actually. But the overall experience, I think maybe five or six clubs in the Netherlands, when you're visiting those teams, they, they have a good... The stadiums are full, but the fans not making that much noise. So they, they just sitting, they're watching, they're enjoying the game. But in Indonesia, people are getting 90 minutes crazy within the stadium. Even there were 2,000, 5,000, 10, 25 or 30,000. So, yeah, that's the, that, that's the, that's the, that's the positive and the, the, the nice uh, thing when you're going to the stadiums. And this season, of course, some major players have come in as well. You've got Essien in there, Odom Vinge in there, Sissoko in there uh, at uh, Mitrokuka. Does that change the perception or help to change the perception a little bit? I think it will be because, as you know as well, that in Indonesian football for the last five years, there was a competition and suddenly there's no competition. The, the, the football station got suspended. There were two leagues. There were two football associations back in 2012, 2013. So people associate the league always with, yeah, this Indonesian football thing, you know, we better watch the Premier League because there are always troubles. But I mean, I think everyone was really surprised uh, at the beginning of the season that suddenly players, after almost two years suspension of the Indonesian football station, like former player, Premier League players, and especially big ones like Michael Eschen, still willing to play in this Indonesian league. So that, that I think that's a good uh, start for us as well, also as a as a competition that people say, hey, well, Michael Eschen is going to Indonesia. I think nobody expected that last year, for example. And even I was a bit surprised as well, or even Oduwingi and Sissoko. So that these players want to play here, that says enough also about the about our league, so that actually we're getting noticed abroad. For example, Valley United is doing well. They have four Dutchmen playing there. So now Dutch media is also writing articles about them on their website. So I think some English uh, newspapers or media covered some news about the Indonesian league because some previous Premier League players are playing here. So... I think people are surprised, like, hey, what's going on there in Indonesia? Michael Shen want to play there? I mean, what's going on? So I think it's, it's good that people are getting curious, more curious about our league. And the media in general, how do they cover the game at home? What sort of coverage is there? What's in the newspapers? What's on TV? How's the game covered? Yeah, so, for example, different with back in Europe is that it's all paid television, but in here it's all free. We have six out of nine matches a week free on air. Our broadcaster is yeah, broadcasting on Friday two matches, Saturday two matches, Sunday two matches, and on Monday one match. So that means seven out of nine matches are live on air. And uh, we have our own production house as well. So the matches who are not covered live, some of the interesting matches, we're still uh, doing a live stream on our YouTube and official website. So that's basically the 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 coverage of the te- of the of the of the league. So it's still all free to air. That that has a, that that could, that could be a benefit. But also sometimes I'm thinking, for example, in our league we cannot play on the last match weeks. Like say play week, round 32, 33, 34 at the same time. Basically, what you see in European leagues, especially at the end when it, when still two or three teams can become champion or even for relegation. It, then all the kick-off times are at the same time on a Sunday. Yeah, we cannot do this because if it cannot fit our uh, life on air schedule. What about European football? Certainly the perception is 
Southeast Asian countries are nuts for the Premier League and for Barcelona, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and the Champions League clubs. Is that true? And where does Indonesian football fit around that? Barcelona, Real Madrid, number one and Persib Bandung down the list. How does it all fit together? Yeah, in general, yeah, Indonesians are football crazy. For example, if I'm going by a cab to office, they always ask me where you're from. I said from the Netherlands. And even the taxi drivers, they even told sometimes they really aware of very surprising facts about European football, even about Dutch football. I was thinking, oh, that's, you know, even I, I know it, but I didn't expect, you know, this kind of facts. So the people are very football, football-minded, and yeah, they, they're crazy about the game. So they have really like a football fever in here. But I think that we're not only Indonesia facing the like the competition of the, the European leagues, so the well-established league like the Premier League, the Primera División, or maybe even the Bundesliga. Uh, I think most of the Asian leagues are facing that the local the local fans prefer to watch better football from abroad, and even they don't mind to wake up at two, three, or four a.m. in the morning to watch it. For example, when uh, two thousand. 13 when Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, they came here. I mean, the guy from Liverpool told me that I never saw in our own stadium, we only can allocate 45,000 fans. And in Jakarta, there were 60,000 singing 90 minutes long. So the people have a great passion for football. And they also have a, I think, for personal, what I think is that the, that the European football is still more popular than, than the local leagues purely because of yeah, the Indonesian, this, the situation of Indonesian football before, and the the entertainment side from the English league compared to the to the local league. You mentioned about major European clubs coming over. It surprised me that there were none in Indonesia this summer. Did it surprise you? And is there a a lot of interest in general for, or still a lot of interest in general for uh, European clubs coming over to play there on tour, etc.? Yeah. It's- Maybe that's because of the previous situation that the league and the, the football association were suspended for two years. That could also maybe affected the the European teams that were thinking, yeah, maybe if they not, they have a problem with FIFA. Yeah, maybe for the next, we just wait until everything gets solved, and then maybe we're heading back to Indonesia because, as we know, that the, especially the Premier League clubs, the, the top five clubs are really really popular here. So. For me, it was a bit surprising as well. On the other hand, maybe if I were an English club, I would think let Indonesia solve their problems first with, with, with the FIFA and then it's time for us to coming back. Another thing is maybe because of our tight schedule now as well, we're playing during, if they're having the break, we're still running our competition. So, so and especially with a 10 months format, maybe it's also hard for European teams to fit in this, this schedule to get the maximum reach for this for this kind of matches. So there can be two main reasons that teams not coming this year. How did you end up in Indonesia and working in Indonesian football? Obviously, there's a big link with the Netherlands in general. Uh, independence from the, the Netherlands came in 1945 and Indonesia played at the World Cup as the Dutch East Indies back in the day, the first Asian team to qualify. So there is that link. But how did you personally end up in Indonesian football? Yeah, actually... When you talk about this link, I'm always telling people, they say, where are you from? I said, yeah, actually, I'm a colonial product. That's how I call myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I'm actually, I also have my, my roots back here in Indonesia. My, my grandfather is Dutch Indonesian. My grandmother is Chinese Indonesian. She's from Jakarta. My grandfather is from Samarang. 
my dad born in Jakarta, two of my uncles born here. So yeah, for me, when I came here the first time in 2002, I already felt some connection with the country, but I couldn't until now. I still cannot describe actually what it is, but I felt like home. And then back when I still was in university, I have to find an internship. I found one in the in the Liga Indonesia. Came here in September 2009 till February 2010, finished my university. And then one day my former boss called me and said, hey, Raf, you have interest to work in the Indonesian league. Actually, that was in 2012-13 when he called me. Actually, in the time with the two leagues, the two football associations. And he said, but you have to wait for a while. And I said, you know, for me, I'm crazy about football. I'm also crazy about Indonesia. So I was thinking by myself, one plus one is two and just... It's a big adventure. It's a once in a lifetime experience. So yeah, why not? And then I arrived here in 2013, went back for a while during the suspension. I'm back again since 2015. So almost four years working in this vibrant industry. And you've been a major part in the redevelopment of Indonesian football and this new league. You're well over halfway and not too far away from the end game of this league. How well do you think the league has gone so far the new league i think oh maybe it's not an excuse but we would do it yeah six weeks preparation yeah we only have to focus on on the on the on the on the on the main things to to run this league right so for example many things like we want to still want to host some events we want to do some nice things maybe visiting universities to talk about the league maybe also in collaboration with our sponsors who are just also young startup companies. It's that's for me personal. I can see a different approach comparing to previous years with the new sponsors we're having and the former ones because uh, the former sponsors are more traditional Indonesian companies, so they have a different mindset about marketing. In their sense, marketing is sales, is brand visibility, is hard sale. Well, with Gojek or Traveloka, the startup companies, they more focused on digital. They focused on engaging people with their brand. So that's a different kind of marketing what i'm seeing and and also for our league it will be we should yeah if we not focus also on digital then yeah we lost already so i mean um what i can tell yeah uh, uh, from our league is for example last year we started the first time with the fantasy league with a uh, with a official application for android and apple so there's already small improvements uh to make things better. We having a partnership uh, with one of our vendors for the ticketing management system so that people online buying the tickets, going to the stage without hassle. So I can see already improvement step by step on the league's popularity compared to last year. I think it's still the same. I think because if I compare to the stadium turnouts last year and this year's exact, it's almost the same. So I think people also this year, maybe for many people this league came a bit quick. Suddenly, there's the Gojek Trafaloga Liga 1. And I think people are also a bit skeptic, maybe still, the, the Indonesian fans. So I think they want to see this league first, how it develops, and then maybe next year we will see different kind of stadium turnouts and also maybe in sense of television rating and shares. But I think it's an exciting league because if we look at, at the ranking, the, the table, the clubs are not far uh, behind each other from position one till five, so it, it's exciting. So not it's not like, for example, in 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 Spain where always, or in Germany where two where two clubs are always, or three clubs fighting for the championship. This in this competition, number one till I think until now number six still can become champion. So, and you mentioned Gojek Traveloka, the two title sponsors of the league. How important was it to get 
big sponsors involved, but also companies that were forward-looking, wanted to change, committed to social change as well, because football's so important to the country, it can be an agent of social change. They seem to be a really good fit for this league. And you know, how, how important is that in changing perception? Yeah, it's really important as well, because Indonesia is, a, is the fourth biggest country in the world, 260 million people, if I'm not mistaken. And it's a young country as well. So for us as a league, with sponsors like Gojek and Traveloka, who are focused on the digital, who are like millennial companies who want to engage people with their brands, actually we as a league want the same because we know as a league operator that maybe in, ten, in five to ten years, the influence of, tele, or of cable television it maybe disappears. I mean, the influence of television will be less and less important. So if, you want, if we want to engage our future fan, fans, we should do it through the digital assets and tools we have, like the social media, the fantasy league, the streaming on our website, and maybe, yeah, for, the, for, in, for some homework from us as well, so how to think to, yeah, the, the influence of the digital in this, in this entertainment world. That's, I think, yeah, as homework for us, because we know as well that our potential fans, we want to attract new fans to the stadiums, are the, young, the, the Indonesian youngsters. And the most of the time, they're not spending outside playing football, but they're spending on their tablets or uh, handphones. So, One of the things that has endeared me to Indonesian football is obviously the passion of the fans, which is just stunning, but also the fact that there is so much potential. And if this league gets it right it can really go places. Is that what you feel as well? The fact that there's so much potential if Indonesian football can get its house in order, it can, it can, it can dominate Southeast Asia and start getting to World Cups and start having a, a really relevant league. Yeah, based on the popularity of the sports and based on the size of the country, yeah, it's, it's really necessary that, in, that the football uh, develops and that Indonesia, some, because... If we already see AFF tournament, with all respect, it's an Asian Cup and Indonesia reached the finals, the country got really crazy. Can you imagine if Indonesia someday joining the World Cup? It, I think it will be maybe one month holiday in Indonesia, for example. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I think is that it, it's at really huge potential. Uh, the, the people, what I said, are very proud about this country. They're very proud about the, the, the region they're from. They're very proud about the city where they're born. But, and I think if the football develops well, uh, the infrastructure will develop. It will be a safe environment, safe in the sense of with less violence, even though I, I think it's not that much as before anymore. And then, you know, the people going, the, the people going to the stadium as a part, as an entertainment. They're not going to the Mount Jakarta, but they visit Persija versus Persib in the in, in the eighty thousand seating uh, capacity stadium of Jakarta. So. I think once the football is developed here, people, people will, the league will, will be, I think, should be the most popular one in Asia. Raphael Hartman, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That's the first episode of Football Indonesia in the bag. Thanks for listening. My thanks to Raphael Hartman as well. Rate, comment, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Overcast or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm on social media at Mr. Richard Clark or on my website, mrrichardclark.com. E on the end of Clark. That's the only thing you need to be aware of. Till next time, see you later.